So here we are, uh, Daniel chapter 11 this morning. Uh, I would like to say it's the exciting conclusion, but that's the next two weeks. That's the next two weeks, but it's getting hotter. It is getting hotter in the book of Daniel. Uh, We are in the last portion of uh, the chapter 11, and uh, if you were here last week, we talked about the historical figure, not in Daniel's day, but after Daniel's day, Antiochus Epiphanes, and the things that he did, the wicked things that he did, and how he really is a, a picture or an epitome of who Antichrist will be uh, in the time to come. As we look at our passage this morning, uh, we're starting uh, in verse 36. <clears throat> we're starting in verse 36. And once again, I'll just kind of walk us through uh, verses 36 through the end of the chapter, Lord willing. But, but know this, we, we looked at uh, the previous section up to verse 35 last week. And we ended up, um, I, w- I want to read to you verse 35. It says, And some of the wise shall stumble so that uh, they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end. Uh, And it it still awaits the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. And we see that, uh, I see that as a transition to the next section. I know that sometimes as we read scripture, uh, we want more. We want more. Um, We want more details. We want it to be uh, simpler. Uh, we know, some of us want it in cartoon form, right? You know, so it, it just has boxes and blocks, and it's real simple. And um, you know, but sometimes it's not like that. And this passage is one of those that, in some ways, we would love more road uh, a roadmap to this. But as we see at the end of verse thirty-five, he points to a future time until the time of the end. This this would go until until, until the time of the end. And still awaiting an appointed time. And then he speaks of another king. And I do see this as another king. Some uh, you know, commentators, people who have studied the scriptures, see this as one person. That this is Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, this whole section all the way down through the end of the chapter. I do not. Um, I see that uh, Antiochus Epiphanes has uh, been summed up in verse 35. And then he moves on to another king, the king already spoken of, the Antichrist, um, as he looked at it previous in chapters 8 and 9, we heard some of this before. And so uh, I see this as he speaks of um, the Antichrist that is to come. And there's some reasons for that. One of them being in verses 36 through 39, it would be repetitive. It would be repetitive. And the idea of something he just said as he describes another king, uh, he would already have said that, the 36 through 39, his self-focus. And then in verses 40 through 45, uh, there are some details of some things that didn't happen in the time of Antiochus Epiphanes. So anyways... I see it as Antichrist to come. The, the other reason that I would say this is um, he speaks of a king, um, and when he spoke of a Antiochus Epiphanes, and even the section before that, he talks about the king of the north, the king of the south, the king of the north, the king of the south, and now he refers to him just as an, a king, a king. Um, and so, uh, 
even as we're going to look at next week, we see in chapter 12, verse 1, if you want to turn over there, 12, verse 1, uh, as he describes this time of the end, which is our culmination in chapter 12, the next two weeks, it speaks of something different, speaks of something different. In the middle of verse 1, it says, and there shall be a time of trouble such has never been seen. Uh, There was a nation till a time... Uh, but at that time, the people shall be delivered. And it speaks of this different time, uh, this time to really, uh, the, the worst time ever for God's people. Uh, and so it's different. And so we see this as a different time. Um, so we look at <clears throat> this morning, I would say it this way, a Roman king. Uh, we get that from earlier in the book, um, a description of the sections of time uh, going from Greece to Rome. Uh, so we're looking at this king. I want to tell you that um, as we look at this section, just warn you, um, it's not so much technical as making um, general statements of how the king will be or what he will do. It, it speaks generally about wars and invasions and things, but not specifically. Um, and know this, that uh, if you would think of yourself as Daniel uh, in captivity, uh, looking it's things in the future that he has no idea about apart from God's revelation. None. And so uh, God is giving him a general picture with some details, but not as many specific details as, like I said, many of us want. Chapter 12 will have some of those in the next couple of weeks. Um, And so we look at this as the Antichrist identity. Um, And and what we're getting here, if I can say it this way, is just a picture of what he will look like. Um, who's the Antichrist going to be, by the way? Don't, don't answer that, please don't answer. Uh, some of you have your ideas, right? You know, I think every uh, American president uh, has been thought of as the Antichrist in the last 20 years or so, and some of his um, handlers or uh, cabinet members um, beside him as well. But... Um, uh, yeah, anyways, I have a lot of jokes I want to tell right now, but I'm going to pass them. I'm going to pass them. Um, I would just say it this way. We're looking at the time of the end, the time of the end with a different king, with a different king. Um, we pick it up in verse 36, and, and we're going to get, like I said, pieces of this, pictures, general pictures. And I would just say to begin with verse 36 This king will do as he wills. Do as he wills. Uh, Verse 36 says this, And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished for what uh, is decreed shall be done. The, the, identi- the, the identity of this king, which I would see as Antichrist, is, is this, that he will do as he wills. And as you look through these last couple of chapters, Daniel's been picturing a successful king is able to do whatever he wants to do, um, which is fine, which is great when the king is benevolent, pure, good, kind, a leader, Uh, But this is not true of this particular king. Uh, Most kings, I would say all kings, except for Jesus, are driven by self. They're driven by self. 
They, they desire to do what they want to do for their own glory and for their own magnification or legacy. It, it goes on, it speaks of his will, that this king will do his will. He will do what he wants to do. And really, as we look on, we'll see him play this out uh, in this history that is to come. It says that he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every God. What does that make him in his own mind? God. God. And I, I think about that and I, I think, well, uh, you know, self-focus and the idea of wanting to be the best. And uh, what is that? What is that in us? But what is that in him? It is his desire to be God. When you desire to be God, it's bad. Why? Because you're not. It's to be real simple, right? Uh, when you think that you're God, you, uh, and, and what, you, what is he doing here? The, as you see these words, it stood out to me, exalting himself, magnifying himself, and speaking against. Like when I, when I hear these three things, I think worship, right? What do we do when we sing? We're magnifying God. I, I don't really like the word magnify. It's a biblical word. I'm not, I'm not disputing that. But we are not making God greater than he is. We can't do it. We cannot do it. We're, what we're doing is down here in this world where uh, many care, could care less about the God of the scriptures. We are giving him his rightful due. We are exalting him, not lifting up high, uh, him higher than he is, but lifting him up to his rightful spot. This is what should happen. And what does Antichrist do? Lifts himself up. Takes that special spot. And he says, I, I need to be greater. I need to be magnified among the people. This is who he is. This is what he is doing. And not just that, um, uh, like, like a middle schooler, uh, he say, it says that he speaks astonishing things against the God of gods, right? And when you're not that great, what do you got to do? Try to tear down the one that is in your place, right? And so as the Antichrist looks at his desired place, where he wants to be, he has to speak astonishing, wicked things about the God who alone deserves that spot. He uses, uh, he has his will that he desires. He is the focus of his own thoughts. And his words are not even to build himself up, but to tear down the God who deserves the spot of the highest spot. It goes on to say, uh, in the middle of verse 36, it says, he shall prosper, he shall prosper. And this is hard for us to see, but know this, that the Antichrist will prosper. He will be successful. And I, I, I use those words because they're in Scripture, but the idea is that what's hard for us is that we see uh, anything that Satan is a part of is failing over and over and over again. But know this, there will be a time of his success. And I just say a time. Even in verse 36, it says, he shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished. 
That word indignation, uh, we see it earlier in chapter 8, verse 19, uh, and we identify that as the tribulation period, this time he will succeed until he doesn't succeed anymore, apart from God's, or uh, as part of God's plan, right? That he will succeed until he fails and meets up against the plan of God. Um, And it, even in verse 36, it says, uh, for what is decreed shall be done. This, this idea of decreed, uh, we've heard over and we're going to hear again, seven years, seven years. And halfway through that, uh, there's two parts of the seven years. And so we look at this and we go, whose plan is that? What, what, what is going on? This is this tribulational period that's spoken of over and over again in the book of Daniel. And so this idea of his prosperity, it will be until this indignation is accomplished, this tribulational period, it's decreed until it will be done seven years. Um, I want to tell you that uh, there's really the big event... um, you know, some would point to uh, a treaty that probably will happen at the beginning of this tribulational period. Um, it's hard to know how public this treaty will be and how, um, you know, whether it will make the times or anything like that. Uh, so if it does, and we can, then maybe we can set our watch, right? You know, uh, for those of you who... Uh, agree with me, uh, we won't be setting our watch from down here. The rapture of the church will happen, uh, and then these things will happen. I, I don't know. I don't know how all these things will play out. That's what I believe will happen. Uh, but really, the event that we can really mark will be the abomination of desolation at that halfway point uh, where Antichrist will go, and he will mock and worship and ruin uh, the worship of God's people to their God they love so much, or uh, the God of the universe, the one who has his rightful spot. So we see uh, that the the Antichrist will come, and the character of what he is doing is exalting himself. The the first verse there, I would just say this, is that it's all about him. It's all about him, and him trying to take that spot that is reserved for Jesus Christ, him and him alone. We move on to verse 37 and 38, and we see uh, his, um, his views towards uh, other gods. So as we look at this, he says in verse 37, he pays no attention to the gods of his father or to the one beloved by women. Uh, he shall pay no attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. As it describes uh, the Antichrist, it's not that he follows the gods of his father uh, or his father's gods. Most likely the the picture here being uh, a a man who walked in the family of Daniel, the Jews, right? And they walked after the God of the Old Testament. They followed after him. And it says he pays no attention to the gods of his fathers. It's a natural thing for a child to follow in the footsteps of their parents, even as an adult. Um, And it says of the Antichrist, he does not. It it goes on to say, or to the one uh, beloved by women, um, 
there's a lot of like nuances here in, in those words, but um, some believe that, well, most believe that this re- refers to Jesus himself, the Messiah. In the Old Testament, um, as uh, women would look forward to what is going to happen, they would dream and hope uh, of being uh, what Mary was, the one who would be the mother of the Messiah to come. And so as we look at this, uh, he acknowledges that, that that idea of the woman that uh, is going to bring about uh, the birth of the Messiah. But the Antichrist, he pays no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women, the, the idea of the Messiah that is to come. He, pay, he shall pay uh, not attention to any other god. Why? Because he's got a special spot. For his God and his God alone. And who is it? Himself. Himself. And, and I want to tell you that um, this kind of opens up our whole nation to wondering who's the Antichrist, right? Because we love the worship of self in our country. We love it. Uh, who's the most important? You know, uh, you know kids are raised to be gods in, in our culture. The, the, the selfishness is... Uh, stirred up in the family of saying, well, what does little Johnny want? We got we to gotta do whatever he wants. Well, if you don't want to eat that, we'll get you something else. Oh, you don't want to eat right now? You don't want to nap right now? You don't want to do this right now? Do whatever you want because you're the most important. I want to tell you, um, that's just not little Johnny's problem. It's big Kevin's problem too, right? And this idea that we find ourselves, find ourselves, to be the most important. Uh, the Antichrist himself, this is what he's going to do. He's going to magnify himself. Uh, he is going to concern himself with only himself as he goes in his conquests. Uh, verse 38, it says, He shall honor the God of fortresses instead of these. Interesting, he says, Well, who's the God of fortresses? Who's the God of fortresses? Uh, when someone has a fortress, what is that? It's a building or a, a refuge, a castle. And if you, if you have a, a castle or a fortress or a fortress with a moat and you know have that, why do you find yourself to be safe? Because of the castle. Because of the castle. In our day and age, uh, why would we say... Um, that the U.S. is going to be all right. Why? Got a lot of fighter jets up in the air right now, right? Got the B-52, we got the B-21 stealth, you know. They won't even see us. We'll come in and we'll be able to do that. Military might, military might. I want to I say this. I want to say this. I want to be real careful because I, I think it's good to have military and, you know, especially in the world we live in. Uh, why should you, um, uh, you know, why should you have military might is because there's bad people on the other side and, you know, they, you know make sure you tell them you have it too because it's good for them to know what it's going to cost if they attack you. Anyways, what am I talking about? Um, fortresses, fortresses. What is the Antichrist going to put his hope in? If it's not the God of his fathers, if it's not the Messiah that is to come, if it's not any other gods, 
What is he going to put his hope in? You, you would say himself, but what specifically? The God of fortresses. What is the God of fortresses? It's military might. It's his setup. It's the idea of his armies and his chariots. We're going to get to those in a moment. But he sees his power as being his kingdom, his kingdom or his military might, his fighting men, his chariots. Why is that a bad idea, by the way? Because it leaves the God of the universe out of the equation, right? The book of James, it talks about going to such and such a city and doing this and that and making money and uh, comes to the point of this little story. And what is it? You don't know about your life. You don't know. Your, your life is a vapor. You're here for a moment, and then you're not. And then th- this idea of if God wills, what is the Antichrist doing? I'm doing whatever I will. Not acknowledging that God is above all. He's working out his plan. And so uh, it says that he shall magnify himself above all. Verse thirty. Eight, he shall honor the God of fortresses instead of these, instead of these other uh, gods that he should. A God whom his fathers did not uh, know, he shall honor with gold and silver and precious stones. Um, we, we don't know about this particular one, but as you see in the future verses, you will see he makes... Um, he makes treaties and uh, connections and he partners with those who would be beneficial for him. As we look at verse 39, we see this foreign God, this outside of the Roman or this area. And, and as you picture this, it's the Middle East, north. Uh, we're going to go south and east and west, uh, not west, but um, we're going to bounce around here as these things play out. If you can picture the Middle East in your mind. <clears throat> Verse 39, um, it says this, that uh, he shall deal with the strongest of fortresses with the help of a foreign god. Those uh, who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor and he shall make them rulers over many, and he shall divide the land for a price. What you see here is this, and like I said before, we're going to see this again. There's the armies to the north uh, above him, and then there's the armies to the south. Uh, those That was kind of the, um, earlier in chapter 11, it was back and forth, back and forth between the kings, Antiochus Epiphanes uh, being one of these kings, uh, significant, the, the most um, vicious and blasphemous of all the kings. And now, once again, you have this picture of God's people, the land, Jerusalem, Palestine, this area becoming uh, the territory that's run over right and left between the uh, the north and the south and even the east in this passage. But how does he deal with these strongest fortresses? He wins. He attacks them all. Uh, he's as help from a foreign god, an undefined foreign god here. Um, but this is what he says. It says, those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor 
He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. What you have here is this, that as he conquers lands and as he uh, runs over kingdoms and cities, those who capitulate, those who go along with, uh, those who uh, relent to his leadership, what does he do? He loads them up with honor. He gives them position as rulers and even uh, is dividing up land, giving land away for a price. And there's this deal making that's going on here uh, for the Antichrist as he comes and he does his uh, attacking. Which brings us uh, to verse 40, the time of the end. He says, at the time of the end, and this is this transition. We already saw at the end of, uh, when it talks about Antiochus Epiphanes, it says, see, this will be going on until the time of the end. And so he says, now it's the time of the end. This is what's happening. This time of the end. The king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush, rush upon him like a whirlwind. And what you have here is two uh, two armies or two kings coming from the the north and the south uh, coming upon uh, this other king. And so it's not the king of the north. It's not the king of the south. Uh, These are different. This marks this time of the end. The king of the south is uh, probably the Arab nations together, the uh, the Egyptians, the Ethiopians, uh, the king of the north, uh, most as we looked earlier in chapter 11, the king of the north was the Syria area. Uh, but as we look now, um, and I want to I want to tell you this. So uh, what what uh, nation is California a part of? United States. OK, good. Has it always been part of the United States? No. OK. This is what I, I want you to get in your mind as we go through this. Geography doesn't change. Nations do, okay? And so be careful as you, you know, I know as um, when things heat up in our world as they are right now, we start going, Russia. I know it's Russia. I know it's China, right? I know it's, I want to tell you geographically, yes, Uh, But nations come and go. And I'm not saying that they are going to come and go. I'm just saying that we struggle with what it will be like in this particular day when the end truly comes. Anyways, that that to say, most likely Russia. If you look on a map um, and you look to the north, uh, you'll find Moscow there pretty quick. uh, As you go north of uh, Jerusalem, Palestine, uh, the area of the Middle East. So... Be careful not to uh, necessarily equate modern-day governments that we have now with what is going to happen in this day, but it very well could be as well. Um, The description in verses 38 and 39 say something interesting to me. I don't know if it's that big of a deal, but it says he shall uh, deal with these strongest fortresses. Um, Verse 40, and at the time of the end, uh, the king of the south shall attack him. We don't get anything from the king of the south. Like, we don't get any details. But the king of the north shall rush upon like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, and with many ships. Uh, the picture there to me is this, that 
uh, the armies of the north are greater uh, in force and of speed and of having uh, the right planes or ships or whatever's happening there. They, they rush upon in these last days. In verse 40, uh, it ends uh, by saying this, that, uh, and he shall come into countries and shall overflow, uh, shall overflow and pass through. Um, th- this picture of overflowing and passing through is like a, a flood of river. Uh, and, and the picture is uh, the flash flood, that these countries are coming to squeeze him. And what happens? He just unleashes the river on them. Uh, and he succeeds even uh, from two armies, two kings from the north and the south. Um, this is uh, how he goes about and he conquers and, and what I want you to get as you, as you go through this, you, you see his heart to begin, and now you're seeing his military conquest, and that what is coming into place is this one world government, this idea that he is collecting and conquering territories. He's just collecting and conquering territories like this. And as you think about this, as you think about this, you... Um, this is the Antichrist, I believe he is, and he's going to be successful, and it seems like he is being successful. In your heart, you, you might say, well, this doesn't make sense. The bad guys aren't supposed to win. It isn't, isn't, you know, this doesn't seem like a very good story thus far, right? When is it going to change? We'll get there. We will get there. Verse 42. Uh, so we look down at the scripture. Um, I'm sorry, verse 41. Verse 41 says this. He shall come into the, into the glorious land, and tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the main parts of the Ammonites. As you look at this, he, he speaks of uh, this glorious land that is to come. That, that is, this king is going to come into the glorious land. And this is uh, what I, I shared with you before, and it's happened again, that uh, Roman king uh, is being attacked and going back and forth, and he's seeking to conquest, set up his, uh, you know, as most kings do, they want to re- rule the whole world. They don't just want to rule uh, their little nation. They want to rule the whole world. He comes into the glorious land, the, the one, the land of God, um, the land of that Daniel would have known well. And uh, as he comes into this land, uh, this glorious land, it says, tens of thousands shall fall. Um, but these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom, Moab, and the main parts of the Ammonites. Tens of thousands will fall. There will be a, a gruesome uh, defeat. You look in the book of Revelation. I think we talked about that about a month ago. You just see these differing um, groups of people that are going to die at, at different points and uh, percentages. And uh, this it, it correlates to that. There will be many that will die. But there will be some that will be delivered. He says, Edom and Moab uh, and the and parts of the Ammonites. I, um, 
the idea that parts of the Ammonites, uh, he says the main parts, and the, the idea probably of being those who are leaders of the Ammonites, not the rest of the people. This area that he speaks of, of Edom and Moab, uh, if it's connected to the geography that we know, it's really to the east or the southeast of where um, Jerusalem is. Verse 42. The same king says that he will stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become the ruler of the treasures of gold and silver and of all the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. What you see in verse 42 is his success and the conquering and the pillaging of that which is of the south of Egypt and and North Africa there. And then in verse, uh, that was verses 42 and 43. Verse 44, you'll see destruction. Verse 44, it says, but, the, but news from the east and the north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with a great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. So you picture uh, what he's doing is he's in the, he's in the south, he's conquering and pillaging uh, the Egyptians and North Africa. But then he hears rumors and danger that's happening from the north and the east. So what does he do? He, he, he hightails it back up there. And what does he do? He uh, destroys, destroys. Um, that, that in this, he has great destruction with a great fury. Um, and more are killed. More are destroyed. Because he's alarmed of the east and the north. Why, why would he be alarmed? Well, when you see yourself as king and the ruler of the world and your desire is to be above all, uh, everyone's a threat. Everyone's a threat. And then in verse 45, we kind of have this um, conclusion or coming together of what happens to the Antichrist. In verse 45, it says this. And this is a picture of how he sees himself. And he shall pitch his palatial tent, tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. The picture here is this, that on Mount Zion, that he would find his place where the temple should be and he would pitch his tent. And the, the idea of pitching uh, his tent is the idea of, of setting up his quarters. And really the picture of a king was wherever he is, wherever his tent is, that's the center of the universe. Because that's the center of his kingdom. And the idea is that as he sets up his tent, as he places it in the place where God's temple should be, he sets up his tent as This is the center of the world right now. By the way, uh, it doesn't say anything about Washington, D.C. here, right? Sacramento. I was looking for Tehachapi. I thought maybe it was the Hebrews somehow. But Tehachapi's not mentioned. We're not a big deal. Uh, All the focus is on uh, 
Jerusalem. All the focus is on uh, that land over there. It says that he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Why? Because that's his spot. That's his spot. In his mind, this is where I need to be. It's not Jesus Christ. It's not all about what Daniel has walked through in his life. It's not, uh, he sees himself as the only king, the one who has conquered all. He sets up his tent and everything is to be surrounding him and his tent. And then it says this, just to end up the chapter. This is the part you've been waiting for. This is after that last, last commercial, right? Uh, this is where it all comes together. And it seems uh, somewhat nondescript, but it's thunderous. As you, as you think about all that we've seen of kings and kingdoms going around and Antichrist taking over and him prospering and him being successful and wiping out great kingdoms around him to the north and to the south, even the east. And then it says this, yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. None to help him. He shall come to an end. Chapter 12 will talk more about this particular aspect of the end. But the Antichrist will have his day. Like it will seem like he is successful and most powerful. And it will seem like uh, the, his worship of himself and others will follow in. It will seem like he is winning. But there's a last line. There's a last line. He shall come to his end with none to help him. Um, this, this dramatic few words reminds us that this is not outside of God's control. That Antichrist will not uh, be able to do as he wills for as long as he wants. He starts out uh, this section by saying that he, he would do as he wills, but not forever. He will come to an end. He will be done. It, it's interesting because it talks about foreign gods from time to time and this idea that he is winning people over by giving them gifts. And there's all these different pieces of the puzzle where it seems like he's successful both in might, but also in the idea of making deals. But when it comes to the end, he will turn around to look for help and there will be none. I would say for two reasons. First of all, uh, probably everyone's abandoned him by that time. Realized that he wasn't worth following. But also, when you set yourself up to be God... You always find yourself to be self-sufficient and you don't need anybody else. But the end is secure. Uh, he shall come to his end and there will be none to help him. No way out. There's no, um, there's no possibility of another outcome for Antichrist. He will be done. He will be done. Let me give you... Uh, three points of just conclusion of trying to get our heads around this. First thing I want to encourage you about 
and to think through. We've talked about it already, but the center is on the land, right? Um, and it's not that Jerusalem, Palestine is the, um, the focal point, but it's, it's kind of the battleground, if you will. Uh, the roads, uh, the airspace, the, the seas to the, uh, to the west, those are being torn up as this is going on. Why? Because it's the battleground. It's the area that's trumped through and at times fought over. And, and this, this is what happens uh, as you see this in the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. But Daniel, as we're looking at it today, the center is on the land, Palestine, Jerusalem. Secondly, I, I want to like highlight for you that Antichrist, there's none to help him. None to help him. And, and I want to encourage you about this. When you put the word self in front of anything, self-help, you know, uh, the, the idea of uh, selfish, you know, all those ideas, this is the epitome of Antichrist. That he is the one. He finds himself to be self-sufficient. That he doesn't need anybody else. That he is the one that he is exalting, magnifying. He's rejecting all others. He is the one. And I want to tell you, uh, we, we've been talking about this off and on for the last few months. There's the spirit of Antichrist. There's Antichrists, small a, Right? Uh, ones that come and go. Antiochus Epiphanes was one of these. There's, there's probably others. We don't have them identified in the scripture. But there, there's others that rise up and they act as though they are against Christ but exalting themselves. And then lastly, there is the Antichrist as described in the passage. And, and I want to tell you that, that the, the danger for us is that when we find ourselves to be most important, there's none to help us. When calamity comes, we're on the wrong side. And there's no, no one coming. Why? Because we're self-sufficient. You could say, well, Christ will help me. Not if you're against him. Not if you're against him. I want to encourage you. Uh, I think you parents here today. Be on guard for the Antichrist in your home. I'm not saying him personally. Maybe, you know. But definitely the spirit of Antichrist in your home. In your own heart. Uh, the things you watch. The, the things you talk about. It is not about being self-sufficient. It is about you being humble followers of Jesus Christ. Worshippers of him. This is what you should be on guard in your heart and your own home. Lastly, I would say this. Who is the king? Who is the king? It's the age-old question, right? It's this eternal question that has come uh, before time as we read in history over and over again. There's this question. So who's the rightful king? Who's the one? Who's the one that deserves the place? Who's the one that deserves to be followed? Who is the king? 
His name is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the one spoken of in the Old Testament, prophesied about, the one who came being born as a baby, was raised and as a, even as a young man showed himself to be different, God in the flesh, took his place as a teacher, a healer, miracle worker, perfect and righteous, and willingly went to the cross, died for sinners, was buried, rose again victorious, that for all who would believe in him, trust in him, would have eternal life. He's the king. He's the king. Well, if you understand who's the king, who is the only king? I would ask you another question. Who is your king? Who is your king? Who's the one? Who's the one you live for? Who's the one you die for? Who's the one you listen to? Who's the one you obey? Who's the one you worship? Who, who's the one who, who you come to in confession of your sins and, and failings and you come to him? Who is the one who is the king? There's only really three options. It's someone, right? Someone. Politician, mom and dad, your spouse, your kids. Someone. Or, second option, it's you. Like the Antichrist, you're living your life just saying, I'm the most important person in the world. It only matters that I get what I want. If I don't get what I want, someone's going to pay. Someone's going to pay because I'm the king or the queen. Or it's Jesus. Or it's Jesus. There's only three options. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for... uh, guiding and directing us. Thank you for having a plan. Thank you for being strong enough to carry it out. Thank you for being wise enough and sovereign and that you have these details all sorted out. Thank you for sharing with us from the book of Daniel, the one that is to come. God, help us not to be fearful. Help us to to trust in our Heavenly Father, the one who has the plan to trust in our Savior, Jesus the only king, the only deserving king. God, guard our hearts uh, from self-worship, a worship of a man. God, help us not to put our trust in the, the fortresses of this world, the armies, the, the military, but may we put our trust in the only king, the only one who can bring this to conclusion. God, we ask that you give us um, courage and strength for these days, that we would walk faithfully with you, that we would not be fearful, that we would not uh, uh, we would not give in to other kings. God, we ask that your church would be blessed and that you would continue to grow your church as you promised that you would. 
God, glorify yourself in our midst. Help us to be faithful. We pray this in Jesus' name.